Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're connecting with our member firm representing Eastern Missouri. Joining us on the program is Molly Mohan, an employment lawyer and shareholder with Tuath Keeney in St. Louis, Missouri. So the Speak Out Act was signed into law on December 7th, 2022 by President Biden. This act prevents the enforcement of non-disclosure agreements in instances of sexual assault and harassment. On today's program, we're gonna discuss this groundbreaking law, its origins, and what employers need to know to ensure compliance. Molly, welcome back to the program. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Tara. I'm really excited to talk about the Speak Out Act with you. We're glad to have you here. Now, before we get to the Speak Out Act, let's talk a little bit about the background. Can you talk about how and why this act came about? Well, this act can definitely trace its origins directly back to the Me Too movement. As you know, Tara, employers like the Weinstein Company, Fox News, and others had been requiring employees to sign these non-disclosure and non-disparagement agreements to work at these companies. So sometimes they're called NDAs. All employees were required to sign these NDAs prior to coming to work for these corporations. And of course, as we now know, when issues arose related to sexual harassment and sexual assault, these employees were forced to stay quiet. And so for years, this sort of pervasive sexual harassment and sexual assault, these types of issues were arising and were not being addressed, properly addressed, and the public was completely ignorant of them. And we now know, of course, that that sort of spurred the Me Too movement. And so in the last several years since those issues have come up, Congress and state legislatures have been taking efforts to respond to these environments. And so the Speak Out Act, in the actual act itself, it talks about the pervasive nature of sexual harassment and assault. It states that 81% of women and 43% of men have experienced some form of sexual harassment or assault in their lifetime, and one in three women have faced sexual harassment in the workplace. And the act talks about how between 87 and 94% of these incidents go unreported. So, you know, I think this is a direct response to the Me Too Act and trying to prevent these things from happening, but also to increase that number of disclosures. So this 87 to 94% of things that don't go reported, they're trying to cut down on that number. And this sure seems to me to be a move, another move toward more transparency. Would you agree with that? Oh, of course. I mean, you and I have previously talked, Tara, about pay transparency laws and how many states have been pushing to enact laws requiring employers to publish salaries. And that's been in direct response to the gender disparity and the pay gap that exists. You know, they say that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And so I think the salary transparency laws, the Speak Out Act, all of this seems to indicate that legislators are starting to understand that, you know, to a certain extent, the secrecy surrounding salaries, the secrecy surrounding sexual assault and sexual harassment claims, you know, is sort of perpetuating this this gender pay gap, is perpetuating this culture of sexual harassment and sexual assault. And so these acts seem to me to be directed at preventing that type of secrecy. And in fact, you know, the Speak Out Act, of course, you know this, Tara, but it came on the heels of this Ending Forced Arbitration Act, which was related to sexual assault and sexual harassment claims. That was a 2021 act. It was actually passed in 2022, which was kind of the first federal legislation aimed at limiting these pre-dispute agreements 
related to sexual assault or sexual harassment. And that ending forced arbitration of sexual assault and sexual harassment act that was signed into law in March of 2022, right? Yeah. So that was March 3rd. It was the title, I think, is the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act of 2021, but it was actually passed and signed into law March of 2023. It's certainly a mouthful. It is. And what exactly does that act do? So that law invalidates agreements requiring employees to arbitrate sexual assault or sexual harassment claims. So agreements that employees were required to sign when they started, basically saying, If there's any issue that arises, whether or not it's sexual in nature or any dispute that arises, has to go to arbitration. It also invalidated agreements, including class action waivers. So any type of agreement that an employee was required to sign when they started basically saying, if there is a claim here, I won't try to file any sort of joint or class action claim. So, you know, basically just forbids an employer from requiring an employee to sign such an agreement, requiring arbitration or waiving or forfeiting their ability to file a class action. And it applies to, you know, this arbitration act applies to employment agreements, but it also, it seems to be written in a way that could apply to independent contractor agreements, to vendor agreements. So it's pretty broad. Yeah, that certainly seems like a broad scope of coverage, but is there anything that's not covered under the Ending Forced Arbitration Act? So it it applies to pre-dispute agreements only. So that's kind of the one limitation, the one sort of caveat here is that it's aimed at the type of agreements that you put in place when employees start. So again, circling back to this sort of Me Too movement, when you have an employee start and you're requiring all new employees to sign like an NDA or this agreement that will arbitrate every claim and an agreement that we will waive any right to a class action, that's kind of what it seems to be aimed at. So this act does not cover post-dispute agreements. So anything, if there is an issue that arises and subsequently you enter into an agreement with this person to resolve that particular dispute, you can still have those types of carve-outs, the arbitration requirement, the class action waiver, and things like that. Okay. So flash forward to the end of 2022, Congress passes the Speak Out Act. President Biden signs it into law on December 7th, 2022. What exactly does the Speak Out Act address? So the Speak Out Act is very similar to this Forced Arbitration and Class Action Waiver Act. It just takes it a step further and invalidates these types of pre-dispute agreements that include non-disclosure and non-disparagement clauses related to sexual assault or sexual harassment. So in addition to forbidding employers from requiring arbitration and forfeiting their right to a class action with regard to a sexual assault or a sexual harassment claim, It also forbids these NDA, these non-disclosure and non-disparagement clauses. And it's similarly broad. So it it applies to employee agreements, and it also applies to other agreements too, like independent contractor and vendor agreements. And it's it's similar in that it only applies to pre-dispute agreements. So you can still include those clauses in post-dispute agreements, but just not at the outset of someone beginning as an employee. And this is a really important distinction, right? This term about pre-dispute agreements. What does that mean in relation to the act? It's certainly possible, Tara, that even existing agreements can be impacted. You know, we'll talk in a minute about what employers should do going forward. But because of the broad language of both of these laws, it's not quite clear what pre-dispute really means. And even for post-dispute agreements, you know, these laws don't apply to post-dispute agreements to resolve, you know, an ongoing dispute. but the agreements will still need to have a carve out for future disputes 
that have not yet been raised. So for example, let's say you have a race discrimination claim from a current employee and the employer subsequently settles the race claim with that employee, that settlement or separation agreement cannot include an arbitration requirement, a class action waiver, a confidentiality and non-disparagement provision with regard to future sexual assault or sexual harassment claims. And I think this applies to severance agreements as well. You know, if you're having a some kind of a reduction force or even just a one-time severance, you know, for a certain class of employees, I think those severance agreements probably also need to have a carve out for future disputes related to sexual assault or sexual harassment. I think that you run the risk if you don't have a carve out that those agreements could be invalidated by these two laws. So Molly, what can employers do to ensure compliance with these two new laws? First and foremost, I would review any and all agreements that employees, outside vendors, independent contractors, et cetera, are required to sign at the outset of a relationship. Certainly any language requiring arbitration, you know, these blanket agreements requiring arbitration, requiring class action waivers, requiring non-disparagement and non-disclosure, I think those need to be eliminated or have language in there that carves out these types of sexual assault or sexual harassment claims. And frankly, because of the lack of clarity in both of these laws that we were just talking about, it seems prudent to revise potentially all of the agreements you currently have on the book, not just your agreements going forward. And then of course, also review, employers should also review their settlement and separation and severance agreements to make sure that these agreements all have a carve out that say, you know, for future sexual assault or sexual harassment claims, the arbitration, class action, non-disclosure and non-disparagement provisions do not apply to make sure that those agreements will not ultimately be invalidated. What about employee handbooks and other employment policies? Those are certainly on the table as well. You know, some companies require employees to sign an acknowledgement noting their agreement to be bound by the employee handbook. Or there's also, you know, certain companies require particular policies that employees sign and acknowledge and agree to be bound by particular policies. So if you live in a jurisdiction where your employee handbook or your policies have contractual implications, you should similarly be reviewing your policies and handbooks to include a carve out for sexual assault and sexual harassment claims. In Missouri, handbooks are generally not considered to be contracts, but it depends on the language of the handbook and other related documents. So it's certainly a best practice to review the existing language that you have in those policies and handbooks and make sure that you do have the appropriate carve out for these types of claims so that the whole handbook is not invalidated by a court of law. That would be a bad acronym. (laughs) So Molly, any other caveats between the Speak Out Act, and the Ending Forced Arbitration Act? There's a slight difference between the arbitration, the Class Action Waiver Act, and the Speak Out Act about what it applies to. So both acts talk about a case, they talk about a claim, they talk about an instance, and they talk about an issue. And they use those terms kind of interchangeably. And so I think a prudent employer would not say, well, we're only going to include this in things that we think risk litigation, but we're not going to, we're we're going to ignore internal claims and charges of discrimination and things like that. You know, I would suggest that employers have these sort of blanket carve outs in every sort of agreement that would cover every sort of situation to take sort of the safest approach. And any other state laws that apply here? I mean, we certainly have two federal laws that seem all encompassing, fairly broad. Where do state laws fit in here? 
Yeah, both of these federal laws are very broad and I think are going to require a lot of employers to be in compliance with both of these. But the state laws apply as well. Both legislation have a caveat and note that states are expressly permitted to pass more restrictive laws. And of course, employers are required to comply with both state and federal. So in addition to reviewing your existing contracts to make sure that you're in compliance with federal law and your existing handbooks and policies, it's a good idea to take a look at if your state has particular laws on the book too that are more restrictive, that require more you know, carve-outs or prohibitions for these types of agreements. Well, Molly, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for breaking down both of these legislative acts for us. It's especially helpful for employment lawyers and employers across the U.S. Thanks for your time today. Thank you again for having me, Tara. It's always a pleasure. If you'd like to connect with Molly, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search ELA's website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks for listening.